Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by my course, How to Get Started Being Freelance. If you are new to this, thinking about going freelance, or maybe been doing it for a year or so, but not quite sure you're doing it right, then learn how to get started being freelance with the course of that same name. All the details are at beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for podcast producer Vic Turnbull. I put myself in the place to become known as that podcast lass, posting stuff that was helpful and making people know that I was podcasting now and sending out updates to my network. So I wanted to get that people to recognise that when they saw Vic, they'd be like, ah, podcasting. When you press send on that quote and you're like, oh, what is it? They're going to think I'm an idiot. They're going to think I'm greedy. They're going to think, what are you doing charging this? And then you reflect on it you go, how can I charge more? In, in employment helps so much with my anxiety you wouldn't believe even though like it's been precarious and I've not had a regular income and you know my mum's had to send me money to do the big shop I'm happy like I'm happy I'm content and I'm back to being me Yes, yeah, so there is Vic, her story as a podcast producer coming up very soon indeed. Thank you so much for all your comments on last week's episode, by the way, with Hope Meng. Wasn't she great? And it's always nice to hear when people listening have reached out to the guest. Like, if you really enjoy a guest, always worth tracking them down online and reaching out to them. Especially, you know, because some of them are nervous about coming on, sharing and being vulnerable and opening up. And I think... Everyone does such a brilliant job of it, and I think it's nice to reach out and and say to them if you've been touched in any particular way or inspired in a particular way, for example. So thanks to everybody who did that to Hope. I know she appreciated it. And if you've not heard it yet, go back, have a listen at Hope Meng's episode of beingfreelance.com, along with the rest of season 13 that has kicked off 2021. Meanwhile, over in the Being Freelance community, the Non-Employee of the Week Awards are back. We have got the Being Freelance mug for sale at beingfreelance.com. literally never mention that (laughs) and then every now and again someone will buy it and i'll be like oh yeah i should mention that the mug that you see in like my videos and like on uh youtube uh on the course on instagram you you can actually get one of those at beingfreelance.com we've also got the being freelance book club we're reading seth godin's this is marketing at the moment we've got the live q a's back and plenty more besides anyway go check it out come join us you're not alone being freelance genuinely join the community Community at beingfreelance.com. Okay, let's crack on. Chat to this week's guest, that is podcast producer Vic Turnbull. Hey, Vic. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you so much for doing this. As ever, how about we get started here and how you got started being freelance? Yes, of course. So I'm going to start in a place where I don't usually start my career journey. So I'm going to start at the place where I was like, I'm going to, I want to be a freelance. So, so it was 2017. It was a summer. I was in Manchester and I was working as a marketing and fundraising manager for a national youth charity, sitting on their senior leadership board. Like the, I was like, fancy management. Yeah, I know, mm. dead fancy, right? And during that year, I'd got in my head that I wanted to work for myself. I'd done working for the man or woman. I'd been doing it for quite a while by then, 11 years. I was like, oh. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, And in that year, I thought, right, I want to start being my own cheerleader. It was very hard for me to talk about my own achievements and and recognise that I'd done some good in the world. So I started to nominate myself for awards 
which was a big step. And so that was the beginning of the year. I got in the final for a thing called Northern Power Women. It was on their future list, their one-to-watch list. And at the time, with the charity I was working for, I just wasn't happy in that sector anymore. I wasn't, like... I didn't care enough. Like, I cared about the cause, but I didn't care enough of what was going on internally or I didn't want to get involved in any politics. And mm. it's just like, it's not worth my energy. Like, I don't <laughs> care enough. You know, it sounds really horrible, but I just didn't like, I didn't want to be waking up every morning and fighting the good fight because mm. I didn't care enough about, not the cause, but politics and stuff like that. So I wasn't very happy. And um, the final straw came when I was had a meeting with a, like a, a partner in a public building in Manchester and they started shouting at me and I started crying. And I'm not a crier. I'm like proper not a crier. I can't remember the last time I cried. <laughs> and I was like, do you know what? I don't come to work every morning to get shouted at and for me to burst into tears. So the day after, I had my resignation letter in hand. The same day, my CEO came up from London to talk to me about various stuff that was going on in the charity. A great charity, by the way. I'm not bad-mouthing. They were bloody brilliant. And she said, we're going to have to let you go. We're going to have to make you redundant. And I was like, oh, like, I hid the letter behind my back. <laughs> and I was like, oh, re- really? And I was like, that is, oh, I am, I am upset. I am. I was gutted, like, tell you, the truth, I was gutted, like, because it's not nice as it's like you being made redundant. But so instead of me handing my notes and not getting paid for that three months, my three months notice period from September to December, I was getting paid for it. And it, it gave me time to reflect and think about what I was going to do next. Around the same time, my housemate I was living with at the time, she's like, I'm going to move to London. I was like, oh, great. I'm being made redundant. I'm going to have to find a new house. And I've just acquired a cat. So oh They're really testing what it takes to make you cry at this stage. I know, yeah, I know. I should have been more faced by it. And I, I was like, people go, what are you going to do, Vic, after you've left your job? And I was like, I have no idea. I'm going to move to a town I don't know, into a little house on my own. I've never lived on my own before. And I'm just going to do it. So I started meeting people in my like network who were on their own and asked them how they did it. And like I was finding out stuff and letting people know that I was on my own as well. So when um, you say on your own, as in that you were... Going freelance, right. going self-employed. Mm. I still had no idea what I wanted to do. Literally no idea. What would you have called yourself then? The idea of my in my head was that I was going to be a fundraising person a freelance fundraiser for Mm -hmm. -for not-for-profits because that's all that's what I've known for the past two years I got myself a mentor from a a a group I was involved with that supported women in social enterprise I went to a -a mentor-a-thon of those they're called Flourish CIC and a -a mentor-a-thon is like a speed mentoring session (laughs) and they were talking to me they were like so what like what what are you thinking of doing I was like I you know I love audio it's been my passion since I was a baby like to be the next radio superstar. I love music and I want to pursue that. That's all I've ever wanted to be, a radio superstar, but somehow fell into charity. And they were like, well, why don't you do like radio or podcasts for charities? And I was like, nah, nah, I don't want to do that. I left the job and it was January 2018 and I had all these business model canvases in front of me sketching out what I was think- thought I wanted to do and going through all these iterations of what my business could look like. So I literally started from nothing. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I started applying for jobs because I was like, oh, I'm a bit, I'm not getting any clients because I don't know what to do. So I was slipping back into applying for jobs hmm. and I didn't get any of them. The last job interview I had, it was this really, like it was, it, me, it made me feel a bit weird. Have you ever had weird job interviews? 
Like, and you feel like you feel a bit weird afterwards. What, what did they do? So it was the second interview I had. I got called back for another one, and I didn't drive at the time. I live in Manchester, and the interview was like up in Lancashire. Um, but like in this like conference hotel centre on the on the side of a motorway. And it took me ages to get there. And the train was late and I was out of breath. And when I got there, they were all just sort of staring at me really weirdly. And I did what I did supposed to do, did a presentation. And at the end, they were like, oh, um, you're a bit nervous. And I thought, of course I'm bloody nervous. This is a job interview. <laughs> and I didn't get it. And on the train home, I was thought, oh, it was a bit weird that. And they were all a bit funny. And I don't want to put myself through all this for. I don't want a job. I want to work on my own. So on the train home on Twitter, I put, right, I can do audio. I've got my own podcast, which I'll tell you about in a sec. And I definitely don't want to work for anyone again. I'm just putting it out there. And um, a girl who I quite admired in the radio industry saw that tweet, Kate Cocker. And she said, if you're not doing anything at the minute, do you want to help me out doing some social media stuff and um, helping me grow my brand basically online? I was like, oh, I'd bloody love to do that. I love you. I love you so much. <laughs> so I met, her, I met her for a wine. And yeah, started working for her. That my second freelance job was to start doing social media for her audio coaching company, and to be able to work with her and learn some of the ropes and learn some people in the industry and what was going down. And I'm sure loads of people on the podcast have said it's one of those moments that changes things. That tweet and that awful interview on the side of a motorway was one of those things that changed things. Because you put it out into the world what you wanted to do, but also you knew you never wanted to be back doing that interview again. No, and I never wanted to be back crying in the middle of Manchester Library. Like, <laughs> um, and I had a cat to provide for as well, to right. remember now, don't forget. So, but I was still marketing myself as this fundraiser marketer, and I have no passion in fundraising. Like, I'll, st I'll still do a lot of odds and sods if people want me to do stuff. But So by the end of 2018, I had three clients, and I was like, guys, it's going so slow. Why does it go so slow for me? And those three clients were all audio or just... No. So Kate was marketing, doing her marketing in like mm -hmm. little bits of audio. And another client was fundraising. So by the end of 2018, I remembered that mentoring-a-thon conversation when someone went, well, why don't you just put your love for charities and not-for-profits together with your love for audio? I was like, oh, it made sense now. So <laughs> the beginning of 2019, I was like, right, I'm making podcasts for a living now. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a podcast for a living and it's going to be for the social good, impact sector and value-led organisations. And I just did it. And I was just like, that's what I'm doing now. And I didn't plan it. And I didn't look at any business models or any business plans or anything. I was just like, I'm doing it now. Which is unlike me. Oh, I'm such a little, I'm a little planner. Like I'm an anal planner. And I was, at the beginning of 2019, I was like, this is now or never. Now or never, I'm going to do it. And, and so that was the start of my podcast producing Yes. Wow. Okay. Now, my gut instinct is to say, okay, so how did you go about doing that? But I just want to back up slightly because you did say that you had a podcast. Yeah, so I launched my own podcast in 2018. It's my first year of freelancing. And what was that podcast? So the podcast is, I've still got it, but I'm too busy making other people's to keep it updated. So it's called Tourist Podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's a travel podcast whereby your tour guides are stand-up comedians. So it wasn't like it was a podcast aimed at the charity sector or aimed at getting you clients. It was just something you like the idea of doing. Yeah. Right. Let's go back to it then. So <laughs> you've decided, right, I am now calling myself a freelance podcast producer. Yeah. What did you do? 
So like any good freelancer, I built a website, another one. So I'd already built the year before, built my own personal branding, like Vic Elizabeth Turnbull website. So then at the beginning of 2019, I thought of a name. So it's Mike Media, M-I-C, short for microphone. Built a website because I'm like the most bootstrapping person you'll ever meet. I'm like, I'll do it myself, it's fine. Which just can be quite detrimental. Like my own books, I'll do it yourself. Website, do it yourself. Marketing, do it yourself. So I built my own website and was just going to the networking events that I go to in Manchester and from the networks I've built up over the years. And I went to the unveiling of the Emmeline Pankhurst statue in Manchester and bumped into a woman who worked for Manchester City Council doing a campaign called the Strong Manchester Women Campaign, which happens every year around International Women's Day. And I was like, that's really interesting. How Have you thought about like maybe doing a podcast alongside it? So a couple of months later, she got in contact. She was like, do you know what? That sounds like a really good idea. Here's some money. Or I gave, I gave her a cost. And I was like, well, this is how much I think it'll cost. Completely undervalued like every little <laughs> inch of my being right. which is yeah but this was the first thing i've ever costed in terms of like a podcast and she was like oh well, that sounds great so <laughs> it was 14 episodes each telling the story of one of the strong manchester women that manchester city council had selected that year in 2019 and it was to be released weekly as a legacy project for that amazing campaign so that was my first podcast project was for manchester city wow. council and a year later, I'd get nominated for a British Podcast Award for it, which was just like, even now I'm just like, that is so like bloody amazing. Isn't amazing. It? It's the same year that you won the, last year you won the thingy for the thingy. You won the... Doing it for the, the kids. Doing it for the kids, award. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we would have been mingling at awards if it weren't for I a know. pandemic. I was so little tiny bit gutted because I wanted to like be in an awards ceremony. Right. <laughs> Actually yeah. leave the house. I know. Um... So that was so your first project? Yeah, first podcast was for Manchester City Council and got um, nominated for a British Podcast Award for, which was like unbelievable, literally. And I was working in Manchester Library down in like the bowels of the library as like my makeshift office. And the studios that I was using were the free studios that, I don't know about where you live, but up in Manchester, some of the banks have got podcast studios now. <laughs> so I was like, oh, can I... Can I use your... So it was all done very, like, again, bootstrappy again. So I then incorporated the company in 2019 as a social enterprise. So it's a profit-for-purpose podcast production company, which I think is quite, it's a quite a unique prospect as well. Explain that to me, though. What, what does that mean? It means that I've got a social mission with Mike Media, and the social mission is to amplify underrepresented voices in podcasts and to help people anywhere, whoever they are, to tell their stories through high quality audio. So that's my underlying social mission. And as I grow, it'll enable me to offer my services at a low cost or free for people that can't afford it or people that can't um, or organisations that can't afford podcast production or training or coaching as it is now. So that's what that means and having that social mission that social and being a social enterprise has enabled me to go on to programs such as the school for social entrepreneurs startup program and be involved in an enterprise social enterprise ethical enterprises network in manchester as well so 
it's been really great to have those support networks as well, being a part of a social enterprise. And I think from working in charities and, and having that background, I don't think I'd have it any other way, really. I think caring and giving and giving back and... And that is in my blood, in my DNA. So thinking about it now, in hindsight, that that it made it just made sense then mm. to have an audio podcast-based social enterprise, which which is awesome. So that's uh, when you create it, like as a limited company. Yeah, you you actually specify it's a different formation, is it, or is it? A- no, it, so you can be social enterprise is not a legal structure; it's how you operate. But within my mems and articles. They've been written so that they include charitable objectives and they're written so that it specifies where my income, or income, where the profit goes, if you know what I mean. So the mems and articles are slightly different, uh, but it's still a limited company or it could be limited by shares. Right. So uh, this is, I'm just, because, you know, people might be listening and thinking, that's, that's really bloody great. I like the idea of that. But obviously you still need to make a living you still need to get yeah. paid so yeah is there like a change in the the governance of it or like how much you can take or like is no there isn't there is a misconception with it if you're if you're if it's a social enterprise or or any sort of doing good organization that you don't make money because it's not for profit but there has to be some money made that helps the running of it mm. it'll always pay me it'll have to always pay me I could never do it for nothing. So within that members and articles, there is uh, clauses whereby it says that it always has to pay people that are trying to achieve that social mission, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But the profit that it makes goes back into the company to help achieve the social mission, if you know what I mean. Calling yourself that or being that opens you up to the possibility of working in certain ways with certain people, getting grants, getting on schemes and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And so many social enterprises are solely grant funded. Um, and I'd never want to go down that route. I always want to earn income. So I have, I've had small bits of grant funding, but mostly to help grow the business. So through the Carp Foundation and through um, an organisation called Luminate, I've had a bit of funding to help me like, buy equipment or um, I've had hot desking space for 18 months given to me. So wow. it's just things have slotted in dead nicely. And how do, how do you, sorry, how do you know where those things are? to apply for so i'm i'm gonna say lucky I'm, I'm not lucky i've worked to it but i've through the years i've been working in the third sector mm. i've built those networks so i sort of know what's going on and i'd been dipping my toe into the social enterprise sector in manchester during that year i was thinking of leaving m- my job so i'd made some new buddies and contacts and they were talking about things that they were on and i was like oh i'd like to do that so yeah it was it was a bit of it was networking and knowing what's out there Okay, so how did you, how did it grow? How did it continue? How did you get those clients ultimately that you needed? I, I put myself in the place to become known as that podcast last, posting stuff that was helpful and making people know that I was podcasting now and sending out updates to my networks and decorating my socials and my website and. You know that thing like brand association when people see this see something more than once or twice or whatever they're like oh so I wanted to get that people to recognise that when they saw Vic they'd be like ah podcasting so that's what I was trying to do I was trying to build that recognition that you'd see me and you'd be like oh podcast in a good way like not in like oh god here she is again bloody <laughs> wanging on about podcasts um, but also putting myself in the space of where my target audience were. So this was like 2019 and I 
I'd got my co-working co-working space, the Federation in Manchester, and was networking with all those people there in the co-working space. So I got some clients from there as well. And it again, it was very much on a the networks I'd already built up level and also the social media marketing level where I was getting my clients from. There were so many like so many scary bits of that first year going, I've got no authority to do this. Why am I doing this? Who's going to want to buy something off me that I've never done before? Uh, well, I've done previously before. So, you know, there was there was that trepidation as well in that first year because I just, I started all from scratch, from nothing. It wasn't like I was taking, mm. it was taking anything from a previous role and going, oh, hey, I'm doing this now, but on my own. So from going from three clients in my first year, I'd got 26 clients um, in the end of 2019. And that was a mixture of podcast production, training, so workshops, and then also coaching. So doing like one-to-one podcast training with a lot of female entrepreneurs. And then that number, I then got repeat customers the year after. So that was my first year. And it was I was pretty chuffed by the end of last year. But it wasn't without these bloody challenges, though. It wasn't like, oh, it was great. You know, I left my job and I started my own business. It's been so freaking hard, Steve. Yeah. You mentioned the fact that, you you know, some of those clients you were doing coaching, training. Is that because people came to you and asked you to do it or you decided to put it like, how did that come about? So the, the training bit, the mic media offer will always be threefold. I, I figured out during this first year operation there was going to be production so making it for pe- making stuff for people mm-hmm. um, and showing people how to make their own so in case they can't afford to do the whole shebang production and that was split up into like workshops and coaching and the coaching especially for people who are like i want to do it but i'd love to have a go of my own but i'm too scared and i don't know what i don't know my mic from my mic stand you know what i mean um yeah. and a lot of those people came from linkedin which was surprising oh. But I realised that last year, with the help of Manchester's Business Growth Hub, who I'd got some support from, that I shouldn't be chasing or, or, or advertising for the coaching stuff as much because it's not, it, it, they're quite, li, li, I don't want to say this in a really offensive way, but they're quite, in terms of income-wise, I'd need a lot of those jobs to match what I was getting for, say, podcast production. Right. So last year I stopped advertising the coaching. It didn't bring you enough money for the time that you were put into it. Exactly. Right. Um, and I needed to change my priorities because even though in 2019 I had 26 clients, the income wasn't great. And around that time as well, a couple of years, summers ago, I had f- savings. This is how I managed to leave redundancy without a plan. I'd had a, mm. can I swear on here? Sure. I had what some people call a fuck off fund. um so from like working my first as an intern um in the first charity i worked for saving so i had a good i had a chunky amount that i'd I'd saved to do something to some amazing traveling but i used it instead to have a break find my feet freelancing and start my Mm. own my own business um but that ran out in 2019 so 2020 was the first year that all my income was mine. I had no savings or anything, um, and it was one hundred percent audio. And yeah, that was that was a nice that was a nice little feeling as well. So good. But how did you get around that thing? Like, did you start to uh, charge more? Like, how did you get your yes. finances in a good place? Well, semi good place, Steve. I mean, I'm not like they're not like. <laughs> but but from that first project of clearly undervaluing yourself. Yeah. 
it's 2020 and you've used up all your savings and you definitely need to make this work. How did you go about that? So I looked at my pricing and I still don't think it's right. So instead of me sticking a finger in the air going, ah, ah, that's too grand. Um, I did it on a, I had a fat, Steve, I love a spreadsheet, right? So I've got this spreadsheet that mm-hmm. I do it per hour. So this is the thing I'm looking at now is taking my day rate and figuring out how long each bit's going to take me per hour. So that's where I am at the minute. But I know I I need to develop that as well because there's some things over the past, I'd say, quarter that I've quoted and it's been, I've looked at it and gone, you idiot. Like, you could have, you could have easily got more for that. And there is a there is a thing of, I don't know, I don't know if you've done it, but when you press send on that quote and you're like, oh, I'm going to be sick. Like, they're going to think I'm an idiot. They're going to think I'm greedy. They're going to think, what are you doing charging this? And then you, you reflect on it and you go, I could have charged more. Literally, these guys, look at them. Look at their website. <laughs> uh, I've done that recently. So I'm getting, I'm getting better at going, right, this is how much it's going to be. And it, only going for the high ticket sort of jobs. And not only seeking these out, but making my marketing and my advertising appealable to those high tickety contracts and jobs, if you know what I mean. Right. How do you find balancing like those, the high ticket jobs with your social purpose? So I need to have the bigger jobs coming in for me to be able to maybe do a job for 50 quid for someone. Right. Yeah. Um, So you can't just be driven by good purpose because ultimately you need to live. (laughs) But Yes. In a way, yes. But surprisingly, some of the value led organisations that I work with, have got budgets. So for example, the co-op, I'm doing a podcast for those guys. And some listener might be thinking, oh, well, they're not, they don't match your social mission. But if you think of my mission as highlighting and amplifying underrepresented voices, well, the podcast was an internal podcast to showcase stories of their employees. And I spoke to a funeral director down in the deepest, darkest Cornwall to talk about her achievements um, through the co-op and her apprenticeships and and how mm. she'd and she she would have never had that platform unless the podcast would have given her a voice. So I find it quite easy to not almost justify the social mission, but to to achieve that social mission. Sure. Yeah. Um, from it working with tiny domestic abuse survivors in Bolton to working with a, a big NGO like Plan International, where I'm amplifying the voices of some amazing projects in Africa. So it's a whole spectrum of gorgeousness. so you called yourself mike media yeah but it's it's just you right it's just me for now yeah so how how have you gone about because you know you wanted it to be that when people bumped into vic or they saw vic turnbull they go oh it's the podcast last yeah like how how do you find the balance of your own personal brand of vic and mike media is it not an issue i don't know um so yeah in some bits it is an issue I want Mike Media to have the same tone as me. Like, it's quite non-formal. It's quite jovial. Uh, it's easy to get on with. It's quite northern. It's quite honest. Um, it's transparent. And Mike Media was made on a whim, like, overnight. Like, I'm going to make a website and do it. There was no thought that went into it. So, in some ways, Mike Media is me. God, that sounded, that sounded the, like the most wankiest thing I've ever said in my life. So my comedian is me, um, but a yeah. more, more toned down, um, watch, watch as their P's and Q's version of me. Right. 
which it gets a bit weird when you know like you're on twitter and you, you're talking as part of the company you're like we we are so glad to have you and it's just me talking and i have had someone say to me recently why did you do that why why isn't mike media you why don't you have more of you on your website and i don't know why i need to, i need to put more of me on my website the idea is that, that it will become its own entity with its own team one day. Um, I've got, I do work with a, a lovely marketing coordinator called Vicky um, and I have got some help around some sort, some things that I do as well. So the dream is to make that a proper team and then that wouldn't be me then. That would be Mike Media and I would be the CEO and director of Mike and founder of Mike Media. So having it me at the minute and Mike Media is it's building the foundations of that company. Nice. I was going to ask if you work with anyone else because you were very much, I to quote i'll do it myself yeah I think no i am i am it's terrible honestly so the end of last year i'm so excited i'm so excited about it. the end of last year i got uh i got a, like a lawyer to make a contract and then i got an accountant to let me rewind right so i incorporated mike media in june 2019 i didn't put any money through it until june 2020 because i was too scared so i filed dormant accounts uh for it last year because I was a bit scared of like, like it was starting to get like big boyness, like putting money through it and having to do accounts for it. And yeah, it just scared, it scared the shit out of me. So I just continued to do it through my self-employment. You would invoice people not as Mike Media, no. but as Vic Turnbull. Yeah, because I was, I, it scared the hell out of me. In what way did it scare you? Just that if I had, I had to like deal with paying myself and stuff and what if I didn't have enough money to pay myself and it just honestly and so I finally bit the bullet and and started taking money through it in June and got an accountant to put me on all like the online systems and stuff and help me figure out like PAYE and stuff so the end of last year that got sorted I was like ah and I got the lawyer and I was like I am grown up like this is like adulting I am seriously adulting now like when people say oh I'll just I'll just get the lawyer to have a look at I'm like I can say that now I can say that now like it's Brilliant. Do you wish you'd got an accountant sooner? No, because I wouldn't be able to afford it. So this is all this is all happening because I'm I'm st- now starting to be able to afford things, and that was one of the reasons why I hadn't done it as well. I wanted someone to sit there and explain it to me. So I'd just been doing everything through my self-employment, sole trader QuickBooks, and doing my own accounts and everything like that. So uh, I'm now starting to l- leave that um, mm-hmm. and navigate um, and migrate now to just doing things through the business. So another thing about me, right? is that um, I'm a bit of a worrier. <laughs> um, so this is why I need things explained to me in uh, black and white. Being a worrier can be a good thing, though. Yeah, yeah. I've lived with, like, really, like, bad anxiety for the past... Uh, got really bad towards when I was, was being made redundant. So navigating this whole business and self-employed thing while having massive anxiety has been a challenge as well. But, hey, we're getting there. What do you think has helped? Um prescription medication that helped quite a lot <laughs> and actually not being not being in a in in employment helped so much with my anxiety you wouldn't believe even though like it's been precarious and I've not had a regular income and you know my mum's had to send me money to do the big shop the cat's still on like own brand cat food um I'm happy like I'm right, happy I'm yeah. content and I'm back to being me I often say that when I left that and it wasn't their fault at all. It was. It was. It wasn't happy. It's like I left the charity sector, like Gollum. I was like hunched over, like it's like horrible, cantankerous bitch. Like I hate everyone. Everyone can go to hell. 
And since working on my own and working with just me, I'm I'm back to being me again. You know, I can get anxiety and it's it's hard to do things sometimes. But I also think it's because I'm a bit of an introvert and I like being on my own. So you got out there and got known and like you were mixing within like Manchester, so quite a big city of business people and social people and uh, as in social enterprise type charity sector type things going on. Yeah. But did you know anybody doing what you were doing? Um, so I, yeah, so it was Kate that I knew who helped me um, figure out what, figure out some direction and stuff. So there's Kate who I knew. Um, there's a few others in Manchester, a few other badass female podcasters running their own companies as well and you'd met them at this at this same point no i hadn't i'd been in contact with them on email but never had chance to actually meet them and have a cup of tea with them so that area of my networks wasn't fully formed and i think that's what some of the the almost imposter syndrome comes out is that i was this new girl i had experience in radio i'd had my own radio show for four and a half years i had been worked within the creative industries but hadn't come at podcasting through the radio route and I think that's where some of the imposter syndrome come through as well it's like almost felt like people were saying who is this new girl like how has she got any authority to talk about podcasting but I think it was probably only my own head Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so did you find a community of podcasters and get over yourself and get in amongst them then did you? I made my own what did you do? So at the end of 2018 I saw a gap that there wasn't a physical space for podcasters to meet. It was all very much online. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you're part of any of these uh, like Facebook groups, but it can become a bit of like um, like an echo chamber, but a really noisy one. And right. it can almost be unhelpful if you're a new podcaster or a podcaster wanting to mix with your tribe. So at the end of 2018, I thought, you know what? I was not I was in one of those fuck it moods, like fuck it, I'm going to start a business. Fuck it, I'm going to fuck it, I'm going to start a meetup for podcasters. So it started in a room above a pub in Manchester's Northern Quarter. Um, like, all good things start in a room above a boozer, don't they, Steve? Um, <laughs> and it was called Mike. So this is where the name Mike come from. Mike's, it was called Mike Talks at the start. And the idea was to do monthly talks about podcasting with local podcasters on the, on the set and stage, basically. And it was inspired by a series of events for illustrators and graphic designers that that used to happen in Manchester called Blab. And they were big, massive meetup events with talks that I used to go to because I used to be part of that sort of circle. So it was inspired by that, but for podcasters. So the first event happened in November 2018. And it then developed into a monthly talk series. And then I started doing something called Mike's Podcast uh, Edit Club which the idea was for people to come and come with their laptops and edit their podcasts together. So if people had a little like, if people had like a, oh, I can't just get rid of this awful farting sound, someone would go, oh, I'll help you with that. Or someone would go, oh, does this sound all right? I'll help you with that. So got on board um, Barclays Eagle Labs and uh, The Landing in Media City and they hosted these awesome podcast edit clubs. Then that sort of developed into more of a meetup. So people come in and I'd get, I'd get the venues to sort out loads of free booze. So I'd have loads of free booze, loads of podcasts coming together and it just came together as a meetup. All these randomers coming together, but with one love of podcasting, it was gorgeous. Mm. So fast forward until the beginning of 2020 and for some reason we had to stop doing physical events. <laughs> 
so now Mike's Podcast Club, it's now, that's what it's called now in its iteration, it's got something like 430 members and is online. So it's monthly Whoa. online meetups for the podcaster community to come together and learn from one another. So it's like a live FAQ. So people come armed with questions and the community answers them. And every other month we have a special guest to talk about something podcasty. So it's one of the community. So, mm-hmm. so I, yeah, I started my own community. <laughs> I'll do it myself. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Like you've you've done the same. I mean, you've got a, you've got a cracking community. Well, yeah. So you start above a pub, and how do you find that that has helped you personally and and business wise? Has it? Um, it's helped me personally. I might have got some people to help me do some various bits and bobs, uh, helping me production wise. That's mm-hmm. that's helped me in my business. It's helped me in the fact that now I have a guy to help me with the organising. I've got community manager, I like to call him. He's called Charles and he's awesome. He came to the second very ma- second mic and I was like, do you want to help me with this? So now he helps me and it's been good for his profile as well. Um, and it, it, it is a good profile raiser, you know, but that's not the main reason that I do it. But it's also gone on to me co-founding a podcaster conference for the north of England called Pods Up North. So that was taking the same ethos as Mike's Podcast Club and me going to Kate, again, Kate, who I um, started off doing the social media for, saying, look, there's nothing up here. Fuck it, she would just do it. And that was that, that was that. She would just do it ourselves. That's like, let's do it. And it came off the back of Manchester Podcast Festival that was just putting on shows mm-hmm. and we wanted to do the maker side of it. So Pods Up North, as, as it was called. November 2019, we had our first physical event. And then November 2020, we went virtual. So we had, a, we had a two-hour masterclass that was like quite light touch. It wasn't like tough on bums. I, I love the fact that you never feel like all of these other people are competition. No, I've never seen anyone that comes to my podcasty club as competition at all. I think it's because I've, I've carved a niche. Again, which is, uh, I've heard lots on your podcast, is people carving that niche. And my thing is social and value-led organisations. Mm. So, um, and yeah, there's so many people popping up now doing podcasting. There's space for us all, isn't there? And how about the way the way you work, though? Like, how have you managed your time and your day and your weeks? And your, Especially if some of these are like recurring projects where you're... Yeah, well, I'm a bit of a workaholic. I think anyone that knows me knows that I work so damn bloody hard. Um, to my own mental detriment. I think this is where the anxiety came from in the first place was me. When I was in my 20s, I had a job. I had this amazing job. It was so good. But I worked my absolute arse off. I'd be working from nine o'clock, well, half eight in the morning till nine o'clock at night most most nights. And mm. it just broke it broke my little head. So I do take a lot of lessons from those days in that I need to sometimes not do as much. So I typically work. I try to be at my desk here in my living room uh, because I've got a little tiny house and don't don't have an office. Um, so in my living room, I try and be at my desk here at nine o'clock in the morning and finish at half six. And that's set out in my diary. Nine o'clock, half six. And then I've listened to this, right? I sound so hashtag lockdown, right? I do, <laughs> I do half an hour of exercise, then I have my tea, and then I might revisit stuff as well. I've got into that routine since the beginning of lockdown. I also twice a week, more or less, go into my co-working space in town. But that has dwindled, obviously, because of lockdown, I've not been able to go in as much. And I am a very big calendar blocker. Like I don't, all my to-do, my to-do list is on my calendar. It's not anywhere. I don't have any notebooks or any 
I used to have a, a Remember the Milk list online and I don't have any Trello or anything. It's all calendar based. And I made that decision to get rid of notebooks a couple of years ago because I was stacking to-do lists. I had, you know, your inbox had become a to-do list, you know, like your, yeah. the paper had become a to-do list, like the back of a, a bus ticket had become a to-do list. Like, so I consolidated all that and popped it all on a calendar. At the minute, the calendar thing's working. Um, I got myself a whiteboard the other day and I felt so grown up, honestly. I was so excited. <laughs> Uh, these are these little things that I get excited about, like a whiteboard, getting an accountant, getting a lawyer. Oh, no. Do you know, our daughter for Christmas wanted a laminator. <laughs> She's seven. She's a girl after me or not. I love a bit stationary. Vic, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Okay, so the first one is that I was once booed off stage at a comedy club. <laughs> okay. The second one is I organised a grime gig at Downing Street. What? Okay, go on. And the other one is that on one of my birthdays, a thousand people sang happy birthday to me. (sighs) Okay, right. How did a thousand people sing happy birthday to you? It was my 23rd birthday. Uh Well, it was on the eve of my 23rd birthday. And I've I've led quite a random life, Steve. I was... (laughs) I was invited to judge a new music festival in Naples, Italy. What? <laughs> that could have been a fact in itself. <laughs> so I was on the panel with like the equivalent of like an NME journalist and like an MTV presenter, but in Italy. And <laughs> and <laughs> on the the finale of the festival in this like in the middle of this like gorgeous square in Naples, um, yeah. I said to one of the guys, "It's my birthday." And he went, no, it's not. I was like, it's my birthday now. He went, no, that's English English time. We don't look at English time. He was, he was being horrible. I thought, what have you been horrible for? You, like, it's my birthday. I thought, do you know what? I've come all this way and you're being an arsehole. <laughs> anyway, he was, he was only messing around with me because when it got to the Italian time, it was my birthday. He, like, pulled me on stage and was like, it's Victoria's birthday. And, like, all these, like, new music fans were singing happy birthday to me. Sang happy birthday. Did they sing it in Italian? Uh no, I do you know what I don't know. Is it the same? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This is your story. I can't remember. Hmm, I think you would remember. <laughs> Let's stick with you on stage. Then you were booed off stage at a comedy gig. Yeah, there's a comedy club called Frog and Bucket in Manchester, and they do this open micy competitiony thing. It's like this amateurs' night, and you've got a last longer than five minutes. Oh my god, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it's yeah. Did you do it? Yeah, that's what that's what I got booed off from. I'm, I was pissed, right? I was. I, this is my and again my early twenties adventures. Like nothing compared to what I'm like now. Like bed at ten o'clock with the cat, right? So I was about twenty one, and I thought my best friend's a stand up comedian, right? And I thought she can do it, I can do it, right? <laughs> so I was very drunk, and I put my name down to do it, and I got on stage, and I thought, right, I'll make a laugh. I'll put my fist in my mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because that's not like my party trick. I can put like my whole fist in my mouth. I'm not going to do it now. Don't ask. Um, and <laughs> that was all right. Like there was a few titters. I mean, yeah, who wouldn't applaud? Right. And then I made a joke about a cat's bum hole, and it didn't. It just didn't go down very well. So they hold up like frogs. They hold up like three frogs. So I got the third frogs and got booed off after the cat's bum hole <laughs> joke. Okay. All right. I mean, that sounds very plausible. I'll tell you what doesn't sound plausible. Organising a grime gig 
at number 10 Downing Street. So I, for the charity I very first worked for when I was oh, there, charity. when I got into this business, we organised a launch at 11 Downing Street and mm-hmm. it was to launch a, this wonderful arts festival thing. And um, MPs like to see kids performing, don't they? And so we'd got this really cool mank grime band called Something Crew um, to come down with us and perform at like like the interval of this launch. So loads of cool people were there, like Badly Drawn Boy was there and like Alice Darling was the, the guy that lived there at the, the, the time. Um, so, but I, yeah, I organised for the very first grime band to play in 11 Downing Street. And they were so loud that Gordon Brown, who was next door at the time, got his people to come round and ask them to turn it down. He was putting his kids to bed. The Prime Minister was putting his kids to bed. Can you just turn that grime down a bit, please? Okay, so when was that? He was Prime Minister of 2000 and... It was 2008. Oh, I was about to say 2008. Mr Burner was there as well. He was the Culture Secretary at the time. That's how long ago it was. I don't know. I actually don't... Okay, no. Do you know what? Purely because... I don't understand why you were in Naples, but also, like, you would have known if they were singing in English or Italian. Maybe there was a chink in your story there. I'm going to say the thousand people singing to you is the lie. Uh-uh. Ah! I've never got on stage at a comedy club. I would absolutely pee my pants. Please tell me you can put your fist in your mouth. I can't put my fist in my mouth, though. Oh, I, I, okay. I know no jokes about cat's balls. <laughs> oh, everybody knows a joke about a cat's bubble. I can't Come believe on. this is going to be the finale of my time on your podcast. We're talking about bubbles. <laughs> um, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I think... What I've realised is since I left school 20, 20 years ago last year, and again, that's like my number one thing was to be a radio superstar. And I think it would be like, don't stop believing. Um, no, yeah, it's going to like, I'd say to them, like, it's going to take a while to get there. Like, keep doing it. And what you're doing now, you're doing it for a reason. You've gone along these little tangents and it's fine. You're going to learn loads of stuff and it's not a waste of time what you're doing. You will get there in the end. And you know what? You're going to have a great bloody time doing it, but don't work so hard because you'll hurt your little head. You're right. You have clearly picked up loads of skills along the way, which have fed into what you're doing now. Absolutely, yeah. I don't. I wouldn't have been ready to be a freelancer when I'd left university. I wouldn't have been ready to be a freelancer, even though I thought I could, when I'd left my very first job. Like, it's all those things that have, mashed up in my head that, mm. that that means I can offer my offer now if you know what I mean and and that I've got the networks and I've got the nouns and I've got the skills and but this time next year if you speak to me Steve I might be doing something completely different it might have all failed but you know what I'm having a, <laughs> I'm having a great time now and and I can I, I don't have to go to my mum to get the weekly shop so that's good <laughs> it's been so good chatting to you go to beingfreelance.com there'll be links through so you can see what Vic is up to and uh, if you're a podcaster perhaps join in with her meetups and pods up north as well so all of those links will be at beingfreelance.com where there's also a transcript of this if you're into podcasts and you're into freelancing and being a parent then you might also want to check out the other podcast I do as Vic mentioned we won an award Yay. the same time Vic won one well, I didn't uh, win one but you can tell people I won one 
know who's nominated. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's called Doing It For The Kids. So search for Doing It For The Kids. Um, and, it, you know, you can't have two podcasters in a room and not mention the fact that your reviews would be appreciated. I've, I never ask for reviews. Yeah, review and subscribe like and rate yeah. as well, please, while you're there. There you are. You see, there's those things I'm always meant to say, but I always forget because I'm not proper enough about it. And remember, you're not alone being freelance. Come join us in the Being Freelance community. Click the link at beingfreelance.com. But for now, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Oh, thank you very much.